Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And um, very excited about the things we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, by the way, uh, welcome home to our honeymooners, Paul and Tammy. Amen. Congratulations uh, on, what is it now, about 11 days married, I guess. Praise God, Wednesday a week ago, Wednesday night. Um, I shared you guys' story with class, uh, I guess, Wednesday morning, maybe Thursday morning. And uh, anyway, brother, just uh, congratulations and just uh, so thankful uh, for what God's doing in your lives and your new marriage. Amen. All right, Hebrews um, chapter 2, and let's begin at verse number 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, this is a continuation of a study that we've really been in for some months now. We've um, come at this subject from a few different angles, and, and um, really now we're just kind of rolling up our sleeves and diving in. And the subject is oneness. And it's not just limited to, although it does include, but this sermon series is not just limited to unity among the individual members of the body of Christ, but our ultimate oneness is our oneness with God. And it's a strong message that contains strong truth that does make certain people uncomfortable. And I do not want you to be uncomfortable this morning, but I do want the truth, amen, uh, to set us free in ways that we have yet to experience the freedom that only this truth can facilitate in our lives. Let, let, me, let me try to say that another way. I, I got too wordy right there. The truth's what sets us free. Not knowing the truth or believing something other than the truth is what limits us and holds us back. And so if the truth is what breaks the chains in our lives, if we still have some chains that are holding on, perhaps it's stronger truth that we need. And the Bible categorizes some truth as milk, and it categorizes other truth as strong meat or solid food. And so we can only grow so far by sipping milk. At some point we have to transition to the stronger things from the Word. And really and truly it's hard to get much stronger than this truth. And so that's why we're trying to break it into small bite-sized pieces and um, even kind of help you chew it up a little bit because we don't want you to spit it out um, and miss out on what these truths will ultimately lead to and produce in your life. Amen? So this is a key, a key verse, a key passage. And of course, it's referring to Jesus. And if you'll notice, He is the captain of our salvation. And our salvation was made perfect through His suffering. Somebody say amen to that. He suffered on our behalf. He suffered on our part so that He could bring many sons, not just to salvation, but so that He could bring us to glory. Amen. To Father's highest and best for our lives. And notice it says, for both, He who sanctifies, God is the one who sanctifies, 
and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, that's born-again believers, it says are all of one. Now, if you would like to take advantage of some of the resources that are available, they're online, there's different ways you can look these words up, but this word all of one, if you go to the original language, and it literally means one and the same. One and the same. So those who are being sanctified, that's you and me. And he who sanctifies, that's God. He says are all of one and the same. For which reason, he is not ashamed to call you his brother. He is not ashamed to call us family. Because we are and have been made one with God. Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I am aware that, again, these are strong truths that have a tendency to get people in a guarded position. People, you know, come to a non-denominational church and, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're hearing things we've never heard before and, you know, this is dangerous, Pastor Mark. This is... This is, uh, you know, uh, potential for error here and, and, and even p- perhaps, you know, blasphemous and, and just out and out wrong. Well, amen. Amen. Listen, I can't make you believe what I believe, um, but I can show it to you in the Bible. And then ultimately, we have to all come to our own conclusions. But even when it comes to coming to our own conclusions, we are powerless to do that without the Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that the Holy Spirit would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God where these things are concerned. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, you will find that Jesus had much to say about oneness. He had much to say about His oneness with God the Father as a human being, as a man, one who was God and became a man so that He could suffer for us as our substitute. We'll get to that in a moment. But He spoke of His oneness with God, of being the Son of God, that He and His Father were one, and of all the things that infuriated the religious establishment, nothing made them more angry. Nothing chapped their hide more. Nothing brought more murderous thoughts forth from their hearts than when Jesus revealed the truth that He and His Father were one. Now, I want to just ask you a simple question and you don't have to like raise your hand or write it down on a piece of paper but in your heart in your heart this morning I want you to answer a very simple question are Jesus and his father one and the same not the same person but do they not share a oneness Jesus said me and my father are one We share a common nature. We share a common fellowship. We share a common union or communion. Amen. Again, nothing 
made the religious establishment angrier than when Jesus said this. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, if you look at it, there would be times where they were putting elaborate plans together to try to trap Jesus and take His life. But when He would bring this subject up, they would become so angry that they would literally try to kill Him immediately. In other words, they would fly into a rage and try to stone Him, and Jesus would have to be supernaturally delivered from their presence. They would try to throw Him off a cliff. Or they would begin to look for rocks on the ground to pick up and, and literally start bashing Him in the head with rocks. Because He would dare to suggest this truth. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing that for you this morning is I'm trying to show you that those men in this religious establishment, were they being controlled by God the Father or were they being controlled by the devil? Were they full of light or were they full of darkness? Were they responding in love or were they responding and being manipulated by hate? And of course we know that they were being manipulated by the devil. It was darkness. It was hatred. It was, it was believed lies inside of them that was manipulating this response. What I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that there is always going to be resistance when it comes to the truth that God wants to plant into your heart, that He wants to incorporate into your mind and thinking. But this one area of truth is one of the areas of truth where we see the greatest resistance, the greatest response of anger and hostility from the enemy. It's because once a born-again believer's mind is renewed to their oneness with God, the devil will be just as powerless to stop you as he was to stop Jesus. Now, we're going to preach our way through this chapter, John chapter 17. I just want to get a little deeper into it to show you a heart, the heart here of God the Father from the lips of Jesus in verse number 20. Now we're going to come back and begin at verse 1 in the time we have remaining. But I want to jump in at verse number 20. And this is what Jesus is saying. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Now again, you do realize that I did not write this. These are not the words of, of some uh, you know, denominational declaration. Th th these are not um, th the words of some religious organization. These are the words of our Master. These are the words of our Savior. These are the words of the Son of God Himself written in red, meaning they came from His lips, 
but also what makes this John chapter 17, this passage, this chapter in the Bible so wonderfully unique is that it's actually a prayer that Jesus prayed to His Father. So we get to listen in on Jesus talking to His Father about us. He's talking to His Dad about you and me. He's praying to His Father about Father's will and Father's will being carried out in each one of our hearts and lives individually, but then also in all of us collectively. Amen. And Jesus is praying that we will be one with the Father in the same way that He is one with the Father. That we would be in Him and in the Father in the same way that He is in the Father. And that now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, would all become an us. Oneness. Oneness. It's not that me and God are just like this. Or even just like this. It's that me and God are just like this. It's that you and God are just like this. And it's that, it's that me and you and God are all just like this. I'm not just like this with you. We're members of the same body. We are one. Because you are a member of the body of Christ and I am a member of the body of Christ. The Bible says now that we are members of one another. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, go with me. Go with me to John chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, again, these are amazing verses that clearly communicate the heart and desires of God for us. If I could say it another way, this is what salvation is about from His perspective. For too long, we've only tried to understand salvation from our perspective. Receiving salvation. I got saved, Pastor Mark. Okay, that's wonderful. Please, what happened to you when you got saved? Jesus forgave me of my sins. Well, praise God. It's good to be forgiven. But you know what? He did more than forgive you for your sins. The Bible says that there was forgiveness for sins in the sense that they were covered over in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. He came to do even more for you. He came to take your sin away. Amen. So what does it mean now that you've been forgiven and your sin's been taken away? It means that I won't go to hell one day when I die. Well, that's, a, that's good news right there. Amen. It means that I will go to heaven one day when I die. That's really good news. That's even better news. Amen? But I'm offering to you this morning that that is all true, but it is such a limited perspective. It is such a limited understanding of what salvation is and what salvation means and what salvation is all about. You see, when we look at it from our perspective, we see it as a brighter future one day after we die. Jesus does not look at, God the Father does not look at your salvation in a future tense only. He looks at it in a past, present, and future tense. Amen. Your past has been completely done away with. He is now presently in personal fellowship with you, and in the future, you will be with Him 
in reality on the other side. But if we're going to understand salvation from Father's perspective, we have to understand it from the perspective of oneness. Notice he did not say the captain of our salvation has led a whole bunch of us uh, out of hell, out of certain eternity in hell, into an eternity in heaven. It says that He has led many sons to glory and because of our captain, we now are one with the One who is sanctifying us. Oneness. John chapter 17. Let's begin at verse number 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You, as You have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as You have given Him. And this is eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, again, we jumped into the deep end of the pool of John chapter 17 when we jumped in at verse number 20. Before we will ever be able to internalize what we find in verse number 20, we got to go back to where Jesus began this prayer. Because not only is He praying, He is laying a foundation. He is, he is bringing some things together here that He's talked about in the past, that He's talked about previously, but now He's bringing these things together and He's showing us how they layer upon one another and how it leads us to this culmination of our oneness with God and our oneness with other members of the body of Christ. I've said this consistently, and I'm going to say it again this morning. There is division in the body of Christ. There is a lack of unity in the body of Christ. And as long as we are divided, we will be to some degree ineffective at what God has put us on this earth to do, ineffective in accomplishing the assignment that we have been given, that we have been assigned. And so we have books written on the need for unity in the body of Christ. We have sermons preached on the need for unity in the body of Christ. But the only thing that will bring about the experiential unity that is so needed in the body of Christ today is this message of our oneness with God. It's only when we understand what makes us one with God that we have the ability to understand what makes us one with one another. Jesus prayed first that we would be one with Him and one with the Father. And that realization would produce within us the oneness that is needed amongst the individual members of the body of Christ. So again, do you see why Satan resists this message? Again, do you see why he is so violently opposed to this truth? Do you see why it makes so many people uncomfortable? It's resistance. It's resistance. 
Satan brings resistance. He fights this truth tooth and toenail because of what it will mean to the destruction of His kingdom on planet earth when the body of Christ embraces and internalizes this truth. Father told me some time ago that he had something very special in store for those who stayed the course here at Heritage. I've held true to that. I believe that. I mean, I, you don't understand. I'm not just saying that because it's wishful thinking. And, and if you understood where I was and what was going on in my life when the Lord spoke that, that strong, strong word to me. He also spoke to me on the occasion of our 20th anniversary that the first 20 years were 20 years of planting and that the next 20 years would be marked by 20 years of harvest. We are a few months into 20 years of harvest as a family of faith. I don't exactly know what all that looks like, but this is what I do know. That whatever it is that Father had very special in store for us who stayed the course, 20 years of harvest and this teaching of oneness, they are all related. They are all connected. Father is looking for somebody on planet earth who will dare to believe this. He is looking for someone on planet earth who will dare to have a relationship with Him on His terms instead of continuing to act like spoiled children and demanding that He have a relationship with us on our terms. The terms for relationship with God are nothing less than oneness with Him. Oneness with Him. People are scared of this message. And we know that fear comes from the enemy. But one of the reasons people are scared of this message, it's like, it's, like the, it's like the man who senses there's a call of God on his life, much like I sensed a call of God on my life even before I was born again. And they're afraid to get saved because they're afraid God's going to send them to Africa as a missionary. Or send, in other words, they're, they're afraid of what stepping up into that next level of commitment is going to mean to their future. Listen to me, please. You're trying to cross bridges before you come to rivers. You, you've got to take what God's putting before you today and embrace it with all of your heart because not only is He trying to do something in your heart that's needed now, He's also trying to do something in your heart to position you now for what He has for you next. I said no to starting Heritage Christian Center as, as, as pioneering this work. I said no for three years because I didn't believe I would ever be able to preach three sermons a week. That's a true story. I had been a youth pastor, full-time youth pastor. I had, I had full-time hours to come up with one sermon a week for a group of teenagers. And it was all I could do to keep it fresh. And when this church was born, a little over 20 years ago now, I was working 70, 80 hours a week in the cabinet business where this church began, the showroom of our cabinet business. 
And I just kept saying, Father, I, when I had 40 hours a week to come up with one sermon, it was a struggle. There's, I don't, anyway. But see, I was making a decision about the future based upon what I was experiencing in the moment. You can't do that. He told me if I would put on the coat, I would find what I needed in the pockets. I wanted what I needed to put in my own pockets. It's not how it works. I wanted, it, I wanted to have what I needed before I made the commitment. He said, no, make the commitment, put on the coat, and if you put on the coat, what you need will be in the pockets. If you think I'm bragging on me, you are, you are sadly mistaken when I say this. Today, it's, it's nothing for me to spend 13 hours a week preaching and teaching the Word of God. And I didn't think I could do it for 30 minutes a week 22 years ago. Now that's not, oh, you agree. No, no, it's Him in me. I put on the coat, and I'm still finding stuff in the pockets. Still finding it. Amen. Amen. So you say, oh no, that's too much. That's, I hadn't been saved long enough to hear all this, Pastor Mark. Listen, again, you've got to embrace what's in front of you and let the Lord lead you to what's next. So Jesus says, as you have given Him, Jesus, authority over all flesh, can't wait to tell you what that means. That He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. Now Jesus is going to do all of us a tremendous favor right now. He's fixing to tell us what eternal life really is. I don't know what you have previously thought of when you thought of eternal life, but Jesus is about to clarify it. He said that Father God had given Him authority over all flesh so that Jesus should give eternal life to as many as the Father gives to Him. A lot of giving going on here. Have you seen this? Have you, have, have you noticed how much the word gave or given, giving, is, is, is used here? He said, so I'm here, Jesus says, I'm here, and by the way, He's here this morning, to give eternal life to as many as God the Father will give to Him. Now there's a reason why. God the Father has to give you to Jesus in order for Jesus to give you eternal life. And it has to do with oneness. Jesus is the way in. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the only way to become one with God. Jesus became one of us to bridge the gap. Now, if you're wondering about this as many as the Father has given Him, let me just go ahead and tell you how that works, okay? 
God the Father gave Jesus to this world. Did He not? He didn't just give Him uh, to the Baptists or to the Pentecostals or to the non-denominationals. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the Bible says He came to us and He even came to His own, but His own rejected Him. But as many as received Him to them... He gave the power, the right, the privilege, the ability to become sons of God who were born not of men, not of the flesh, not of the will of the flesh, but who had been born of God. Can't believe I'm here. I jumped ahead, but I just feel this is, somebody's pulling this out of me right now. So listen to me, please. Don't overthink this. It's not complicated. How is it that God the Father gives one to Jesus and not another? It all boils down to how you responded to the gift God the Father gave to you. God the Father gave you His Son. If you receive His Son, God the Father will give you to Jesus. Amen. But if you reject His Son, God the Father cannot give you to Jesus because if you reject the Son, you can't become one with God the Father. If you receive the Son, God the Father will see you born a second time after the Son's seed so that you can become one with the Son. And if you become one with the Son, you become one with the Father. So He gave the Son. And if you receive the gift He gave to you, He'll give you to the Son. But if you reject the gift of the Son you're still in condemnation and the Bible says the wrath of God still abides on you. Mm. i got to get this part. As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that means, please let me explain all this to you in greater detail. I'm just trying to get you oriented here this morning. This is speaking of Jesus as the last Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden, he is the sole representative of all the human race until Jesus came. Jesus came as the last Adam. He came to be the fountainhead of a new race of people. He came to start this whole thing over. Amen. So that we could be born a second time. So when it says that He gave Jesus authority over all flesh, that literally means that He, God the Father, gave Jesus to us to be a substitute for all of us. For all of us. Jesus is our substitutionary representative. He came to stand in for all of us. So Father God gave Him authority over all flesh so that as our substitutionary representative, He should give eternal life to as many as God the Father gives to Him. How is it that God the Father gives someone to Jesus? He gave Jesus to everybody. Whoever accepts Jesus, God the Father gives that person to Jesus and they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. So what is this idea of eternal life? 
Jesus says, and this is eternal life. In case you are confused, or in case it's too grand of a thought, this idea that we live forever and do not die. My friend, please hear me. Eternal life is far more than living forever and not dying. Eternal life is far more than missing hell and getting to go to heaven. Eternal life, Jesus says, is this, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now the key to unlocking this portion right here is the phrase, that they may know you. That they may know you. This phrase literally means that they may have personal fellowship with you. That word know there, that word know, that they may know you, it means personal fellowship. To have personal fellowship with. Are you seeing it? That they may know you, that they may have personal fellowship with you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This word, personal fellowship, is also the same word used to describe the personal fellowship that already exists between Jesus and the Father. Did Jesus and the Father enjoy personal fellowship with one another? I feel some of you sliding away. Come on, come on back. Come on, come on, come on. Come on back. Let's get this. Man, the... oh, sweet Jesus. Amen. Did Jesus and the Father have personal fellowship with one another? Do they enjoy personal fellowship with one another right now? Amen. Do you know that you've been called into that same personal fellowship with God the Father that Jesus enjoys? I'll show it to you in the Scriptures. Do you know, amen, that you now have been given the same opportunity to fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus that they always have enjoyed with one another? Amen. And then Jesus comes to the earth and this is eternal life that you and me can have the same personal fellowship with God that Jesus has with God and we can have that same personal fellowship with Jesus that God the Father has with Jesus. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. If you have been born again, you have received eternal life, which means you have received, you have received personal fellowship with the only true God and personal fellowship with Jesus Christ whom God has sent into the world. Alright, I know I'm out of time. Let me finish right here. Here's a verse you're going to be familiar with. John 3, 16. Singers, musicians, you can come on, please. For God so loved the world. Y'all stay right there. You want to hear this, don't you? I'm sorry. Can you hear up here? Amen. Okay. I'll be right there. Just thank you. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is everlasting life? 
Everlasting life is that they may have personal fellowship with you, the only true God, and personal fellowship with Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now that we have a working definition of what eternal life really is, eternal life is not sucking the cream out of cream-filled donuts on a cloud somewhere for 10,000 years. That's not eternal life. Nor is eternal life something that you only get when this life is over. Eternal life is something that you have been given right now if you're a born-again believer. You have eternal life inside of you right now if you're a born-again believer. That's why Jesus said, if you believe in Me, though you die, you will never die because you have eternal life as a gift abiding in you right now. But again, we, what is eternal life? Now that we have a working definition of eternal life, eternal life, according to Jesus, is personal fellowship with God the Father and with His Son, whom God the Father has sent. So we could read the verse this way. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have personal fellowship with Him, the only true God, and personal fellowship with Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Amen. Okay, singers, musicians, come on. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Are you getting anything out of this? Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to give you one more. We'll start, we'll start here somewhere near this tonight. You don't have to turn there. Just look it on the screen. On the screen. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This is speaking of Jesus, right? The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that I capitalized eternal life myself, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with Father, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Eternal life is what? Notice he said it above. So verse 2 then could read this way. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that personal fellowship with him, the only true God, and personal fellowship with Jesus Christ whom God has sent, um, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. In other words, the eternal life that he's declaring is a declaration of this personal fellowship. Oneness. Oneness. Amen. 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 I want you to bow your heads for a moment, please. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. This morning I mentioned Jesus being our substitutionary representative, which simply means He stood in for you. When you and I, when we could not live a sinless life, Jesus came and lived a sinless life as us, as our representative before God the Father. When we deserve to die for our sins, He died as our substitute in our place. He was buried. The Bible says we were buried with Him. He was crucified. We were crucified with Him. He was buried. We were buried with Him. 
He was raised up. And the Bible says we were raised up together with Him to newness of life. The Bible also says that He went and sat down at Father's right hand and that we are now seated together with Him in the heavenly places. Maybe you've been invited to receive Jesus before and, and accepted that invitation. Maybe others of you in here this morning, you've, you've been invited and you've resisted that invitation. Either way, I want you to really understand what that invitation is, whether you've said yes yet or not. The invitation is to simply say, I receive for myself what Jesus has done as my substitute. He did it for me. He did it for me. And so now I come to Him to receive for myself this free gift that He's offering. If you're here this morning and you have never accepted that free gift and would like to, would you just lift your hand please? Say, Pastor Mark, I've never been born again. I've never accepted this free gift of salvation, but I'd like to receive it this morning. Thank you for this hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand in the back. I see that hand. Never accepted this free gift of salvation, but today's my day. Today's my day. Anybody else? I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just the, the three of you that raised your hand, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to come forward at this time, but I do, I, I want you to tell somebody after this service. Amen. It's very important that you make a public confession. But right now, I just want us to all pray together, either new for the first time, or for those of you who have already, it's just, an, it's just an affirmation. Okay, if you would repeat after me, Father God. Come on out loud. Father God, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. And I confess before you that I need a Savior. That I need a substitute. And I understand now that Jesus is my Savior and my substitute. So I confess this morning that I'm a sinner and I need more than just forgiveness. I need to be born a second time. Not as a sinner, but as a righteous man before you. So I confess with my mouth that I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you, Father, gave Him to me. And I receive now His free gift of salvation, confessing with my mouth that you, Father, raised Him from the dead. And when you raised Him from the dead, you raised me from the dead as well. So I confess now with my mouth that I am in Christ Jesus, a new creation. And because Christ Jesus is in you, Father, and I'm in Him, I am one with you. And I am one with Him. And I have personal fellowship with you, Father, and with Jesus, this is eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Everybody turn around and look at Pastor Rick. He's waving his hand back there. Wave your hand, Pastor Rick. All right, the three men that raised their hands to be born again, I want you to see Pastor Rick after the service. He's got something for you. He's got a gift for you that you need, a book that you need, okay? We got some of those, brother? Amen. All right. So again, I'm not one to embarrass. That, that would be the person. And you say, well, I didn't raise my hand, but I prayed that prayer and just got born again. Then see Pastor Rick, please, after the communion service. And, um, and, and let, amen, good things coming. The men that are going to be serving communion, if you would come, please. Amen. We're going to remain in an attitude of worship. They're going to actually lead us in worship. They're going to begin to serve you communion. If you're a guest with us this morning, please, please, we want you to participate in communion. Amen. You don't have to be a member of this church. If, if you're a member of the body of Christ, then, then, then amen, we're all one. And um, the one thing we ask is if you're served first, if you would hold your emblems until everyone has been served, and then we'll all partake together. Praise God.